Everyone has noticed how hard it is to turn our faults to God when everything is going well with us. We have all we want is a terrible saying when all does not include God. We find God an interruption. As St. Augustine says somewhere, God wants to give us something but cannot because our hands are full. There's nowhere for him to put it. And so says C.S. Lewis. As we referenced last week in part one of this Discussion on Is There a Point to Our Problems? Welcome back, dear listeners and friends, to part number two, and welcome back to Easy Target over behind the screens and soundboard. Computer, soundboard, microphone, we've got a whole plethora of products around. Uh, we, we are back to finish up this discussion on the point of our problems, what's God up to, and well, that was such a, such a great reading by Lewis from The Problem of Pain last week. It really set this thing up well, but... Now we want to go into some uh, scriptures and try to bring this all together and answer the question, what is the point or the purpose in all our problems? And look at three ways that we can make sense of this trouble in our life. Number one, we have to choose the right response to trouble. And, and there's one of two ways you can choose to respond when problems come. That's fear or faith. In fear, we try to run away. And we say, no, take this away. I don't want this. Or in faith, we stand up and we face the trouble with God. All right? Now, right there, I think about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, great examples of that. They did not run in, in the troubles. And even look at their life. I mean, talk about progression, getting pulled from their home as young men captives and pulled to live in Babylon, and they grow up there in this wicked, God-forsaken place um, or unknown God, unknown place, maybe is the better way to say it, but uh, but when when their lives were put on the line, in the ultimate highlight reel, they did not run. But there was years of development in their life, years of suffering and loss that made them strong. Same thing with Joseph. You know, Joseph, by the way, had to get his life disrupted. I think Joseph was a favored son, mm-hmm. coat of many colors, daddy's you know daddy's favorite, and and there were some things about Joseph that created some softness in his life. Now, he had a heart for God, but some argue, and I guess you can make a strong argument for it, that you can read in between the lines in the early chapters of Joseph's life that he was kind of a spoiled, kind of, you know, walked around with his nose up in the air kind of guy. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know this. He was favored, and he was living pretty well, and God needed him for a hard task years down the road. Well, that was going to require some suffering and loss. He was going to be betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, Ultimately, you know, he gets out of there and he's working for the head honcho and then gets accused falsely and goes to prison. And then he's forgotten in prison for years. And, and the end of that story is there he is in Egypt when the famine comes and he's able to help his family, ultimately part of God's larger plan, mm-hmm. which includes you and I, you know, the gospel and everything. So 
again, we, we have to choose how we respond to the trouble. We can do it in fear and run away, or we can do it in faith and stand with God. The second thing is we've we got to take the right road through our trouble. So when the trouble comes, how am I going to walk through it? Because no one escapes the trouble. Matter of fact, one of the things that, um, that I appreciated as I was reading in Peter's letter is he really teaches us in 1 Peter some important principles. Let me see if I can find this passage, 1 Peter chapter 4, around verse maybe 12. Yes, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And one of the things he shows us is that that suffering and pain and problems are inevitable. So nobody avoids it. Nobody gets out of this world unscarred. Nobody gets out of this world without a broken heart. It's inevitable. But he also shows us that with God, our, our problems are intentional. God is working something out in our life. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. God is intentionally doing this. So do you see how that works? The problems are breaking our grip on the world, shaking our lives up to conform us to the image of Christ, make us like Jesus, but there's actually a level up on the purpose of our problems. It's the glory of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's ultimately what it's about. Now go back to every person we've used in the Bible, every person we've named that we know or that you think of in your life, what is, what is the ultimate end of it? It's yep. the glory of God. Abraham's life, Joseph's life, you know, Job's life, Daniel's life, Jesus' life, your life, my life. It's all about God's glory. And so, yes, God is intentional in allowing these troubles in our life. But God is also instructional in these problems because he says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer, and I like this part, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Because you know where a lot of Christians get in trouble. They claim persecution. Oh, I tell you, I get persecuted on the job all the time. Why? Well, I went in there and I told them they're a bunch of sinners. Yeah. I told them that if they don't turn, they're going to burn. Yeah. And they, they, boy, they persecute. I'm persecuted at work. Or it turns into a competition of, you know, the Rodney Dangerfield. You think you got problems. You know, let me tell you about <laughs> mine. Pretty good. He says, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So our problems are inevitable. They are intentional. And they are instructional. So you can't avoid them. So we've got to choose the right road through the troubles. And, and I, I felt like, I'm sure there's many ways you could talk about this, but for me, I felt like in my heart, God, give me this clarity of it, that there's two ways you can go. You can go the way of the flesh, or you can go the way of faith. And I know it sounds a lot like choosing the right response, and it kind of is. It's once I make my choice on how I'm going to respond, that's actually going to determine which route I'm going to take through trouble. So if you picture trouble as a valley that I've got to pass through, then I think there's I've got to go through the the trouble, but there's two routes I can take through the valley. And one of those I I call the way of Meribah, which is from Exodus 17, when the children of Israel were striving and complaining because they had no water. And and the the name Meribah, God named that place Meribah, and it means strife or contention. And that's the way of the flesh. And they just 
they, they were going through it whether they wanted to or not, but they chose to do it with murmuring and complaining. And like you said, you can throw the tool across the room, but all you did now was add to the problem. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. Or you can choose to walk through the valley in the route of Baca from Psalm 84, which is where it talks about the pilgrim journey, you know, those whose, in whose hearts are the ways of them who passing through the valley of Baca, which means weeping, they make it, they turn it into a well. And then God sends the rains. Those rains are the grace of God. And it says they go on that journey from, from strength to strength, or we understand that as from grace to grace. So what happens if I go through the trouble and I choose the route of Baca, I suffer, I hurt, the loss is real, the grief is real, the pain is real, but I choose to do it with God in faith. And what I'm doing is I travel that route. I'm not making life harder on somebody else. I'm making life better for somebody else because I'm going to dig wells where God's grace can, that he's showering on me can fill those wells up, and then truly someone who comes behind me, it'll be a little bit easier to get there. And, 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 and boy, there's so much that can be said about mm-hmm. that. But that's, that's two of the ways that I think we, we make sense of trouble in our life. So let me ask you this. Do you think it's possible to start off through the way of Meribah and then transition to the, through the Valley of Baca? Yeah, we call that an exit of grace. <laughs> and the reason, the reason that I ask, so I've been doing a lot of thinking of, you know, just the last several days and, and, you know, trying to identify where have been just periods of problems and trouble in my life, but then what have been the moments of suffering? And one illustration came to my mind. So we lost a loved one several years back. That, to my knowledge, I mean, really, there was no evidence of of faith. Mm -hmm. And we prayed for that loved one for years. My parents, my siblings, and, you know, they were always very nonchalant. Yeah, I'll take it. I'm good. This, that, and the other. Well, then they suddenly passed away, and there was a lot of grief that came into my home, mainly because, you know, we understood the eternal ramifications that were there now. And for my life individually, there was a lot of anger, not necessarily towards God, because I felt this loved one had, I mean, they had at the very least five people, you know, my mom, my dad, myself, my brother, my sister that prayed, you know, faithfully and witnessed. And, you know, how could you just how could you be so flippant about something that your loved ones were begging and pleading with you about? So there was definitely a lot of strife and a lot of the flesh of, you know, what, what, what's, the, what's the point if people are just going to be so flippant about it anyways? What's the point in me being miserable because I'm, I'm caring? Why, why not just leave it to the side? Well, over the course of time, I, I do feel that my opinion and my perspective has changed. Begin was I, there was some of that jaded, some of that. Yeah, well, I'm just not gonna. I'm not gonna get emotionally attached. I, whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen, and I don't. I don't want to go through that level of grief. And you know, did I do enough? Should I have witnessed more? Should I have prayed more? You know, all of this. And so there began to be a lot of walls that were put up, and it was hurting other people around me because I'm just not gonna go down that. I'm not gonna go down that path. Well, over the course of of you know God revealing, hey, this is what your opinion is this is the the struggle that you're having 
those walls began to break down, and, I, and the Lord began to teach, look, you're taking responsibility for something that was not, that wasn't your responsibility to carry. You can't force anybody to do anything. You can pray, you can love, you can be an ambassador and a witness, but ultimately that's all that's in your control, and what happens after that is not your responsibility to carry. And I began to receive some grace in that and have had the opportunity to help others that have gone through some similar circumstances. So, you know, if you were to say at the very beginning, I feel like I was absolutely on, you know, the way of Meribah. I, I, there was strife, there was flesh, but I can now see some some wells of grace that have sprung up, that have sprung up in my life as well. So, you know, if if somebody was to say, well, you know what, Pastor Mike, I'm 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 filled with the flesh. I'm pretty I'm pretty pretty much in the way of strife right now. What it, what are what would be some things that would be some encouragement to hey, you don't have to stay there. You can you can get off of that path and allow God to redeem this. Well, first of all, people that are in that place to try to talk to them and to convince them may not work mm-hmm. because their heart is set on that Meribah way and they've got their reasons for it. There's maybe some hard-heartedness and bitterness that has taken root. So the first thing that has to happen is the people around them that love them need to begin to pray for them. And we have to have some confidence in prayer that God is moving on our heart. In his will, he wants to change them. And so we're joining God and praying for that, which will in turn affect our behavior and our response to that person. But Ultimately, to get from uh, that, that route of Meribah onto the route of Baca is going to take repentance. And by repentance, we mean the changing of our thinking and the way we view what is happening. Because as long as we view it as God is failing me, then we're, we're going to be upset and angry. The, the, the things that help us is to understand that there's more at work here than me and my problem, There's more at work here than me, my problem, and God. There is also the enemy, and there's also the world. And and so all of those factors are contributing factors. So I I can't just get tunnel vision on either, A, God failed me, or either, my goodness, look at this problem. This is never going to end. We have to consider all things. There's a bigger picture to life and what's going on. So we need the renewing of our mind in, in seeing God that God is still in control of these things. So understanding that God is going to continue to, a person needs to continue to hear truth because the changing of our thinking comes off of hearing truth. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that renewal of the mind only comes through the Spirit of God enlightening us with the Word of God. So I think back to what what can I do to help that person pray for them, but I can also continue to counsel them, not in pushy ways, but just reminding them. It's just like the gentle rain of grace. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just speaking the truth in love, your speech uh, seasoned with salt, and that will encourage their thinking. Because a person whose heart is, when they belong to God, God is going to be working in there, you know. But sometimes those walls have to be brought down. It is a spiritual battle. Mm Mm-hmm. Though I I don't know that I did a really good job of answering that question, but no, I mean I I think that's 
that's the only thing that, that we can do. And, you know, when people are going through that, it does start with that first, that self-awareness that God, that only the Holy Spirit can bring to the person of, okay, there's there's a problem that needs to be dealt with. And I think a key is don't, do not let the person isolate themselves in that Meribah way because God uses three things in our life always to to teach us, to guide us, to change us. That is his word, his spirit, and his church. And the role of the community of faith in our life is you just can't express how, how, how valuable it is. And mm-hmm. so keeping that person surrounded by those who will, and boy, that takes me back to that verse I read. You don't want to surround that person with busybodies. Sure. But to surround that person with people of grace who are compassionate and who don't judge and say, well, if you were spiritually minded, you'd get out of that, you know. Yeah. Well, that certainly is not going to help them at yeah. all. So we've talked about choosing the right response and taking the right road. And the final piece of it all, which really we've been talking about the whole time, is do we now see the right reasons for our trouble? Because obviously I can choose the right response and take the right road, but that still doesn't completely answer the question of why the problems? What's the suffering all about? And so to bring us toward the conclusion of that, I want to just pose a few thoughts that have been uh, in my heart about why God allows us to go through this, uh, these things. And I think for me, there are three main reasons, I believe, that to express or how God uses the problems in our life. And I, I can take all these from 1 Peter chapter 1, but obviously we've been referencing a lot of verses today. There's so much in the Bible about this thing of suffering. But I would say, number one, the problems produce in us a deeper life with God. God is trying to graduate us. And you go back to even what I read in in James and in 1 Peter 5, God is trying to perfect us, establish us, strengthen us, settle us. And the problem with most people, even in church, is most people are living in the shallows of life, shallow waters. Um, The world is a very shallow and superficial place. Now, it has a depth to it, a spiritual depth, but that depth in the world is a dark place. And nobody wants to go there, but they're, they want to live in the shallows, the superficial. I don't really want to get into too deep a conversation with you about anything. So we'll just talk about sports and politics mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and even, even though we can get emotional about it, it's shallow and superficial. And that's where most people live, even in the church. But what God wants us to do is come into that deeper life experience with him. Now, Peter's been a main topic here, and we see so much of Peter's life, the growth of Peter through the Gospels and into Acts and into his writing. But one of the first things Jesus ever said to Peter that's recorded is Luke chapter 5, verse number 4, when he says to Peter, who Peter and the boys have been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything, and Jesus has been standing in Peter's boat teaching the crowd, and he says to Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for the drought of fish for the big catch. And Peter's hesitant about that. I mean, when you kind of give up and feel like, a failure and nothing's working out, hey, just stay near the shore, stay in the shallow water. But Jesus says, no, Peter, if you really want to see what I'm about, you've got to get out in the deep water. Now, that's allegorical, metaphorical, all the other words, but we need to understand what Jesus was beginning to teach Peter there. And God wants to bring us into deeper life with him. What provokes us to prayer more than pain? (laughs) I mean, Lewis said it right. When we think everything is going good, we literally, it's not just cliche, we literally 
struggle to live a life focused on God. But when we are in trouble, then we begin to seek God. Uh, Psalm 138, verse 7, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Though I walk in the midst of trouble. When I'm walking in the midst of trouble, you know what I'm going to be doing? Looking for God. Yep. <laughs> Problems producing us a deeper life with God. Our prayer life, our Bible reading, our seeking counsel from others. Right? I was just sitting here thinking, you know, how many times have we made the statement when everything's going good, I just don't really have anything to pray about right now. Uh, and it yeah. just seems like it's it's hard to pray because part of it is we have this mentality that you know we are praying about struggles and whatnot. But I think there is a lot of reality of that too. If everything is calm and smooth, sometimes you're like, okay, I don't I don't really need God right now. Everything everything's fine. What do I pray to Him about? Which reminds me of the old uh, religious cliche thing: don't pray for patience. Because yeah. you're, you're making me think, like, if everything's going so well, I don't feel like I have anything to pray about. What I should start praying about is, why is everything going so well? Yes. Because let's think about another verse. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Why am I not being persecuted right oh, now? I'm persecuted. I've been telling them at work what a bunch yeah. of heathen they are. That's not what it's talking about. You're bringing that on as yourself, you busybody. What? Well, if I don't pray for patience, look what I'm missing out on. Can I go back to that verse? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Don't pray for patience. You'll have trials. But if I don't have trials, then this doesn't happen. Let patience have her perfect work. Patience has a perfecting work in my life. What is it? That ye may be perfect or complete and entire and wanting nothing. God is trying to root out those wrong desires in our life. That quote by Augustine, where our hands are clenching to things. God wants to fill us, but we're holding on to so much, there's nowhere for God to give us what we really need. So God does uses the problems to produce in us a deeper life with him. But also, God uses problems to prove our faith is genuine. Now, that's not circular reasoning. Has anybody, show of hands, class, anybody ever had doubt? Anybody ever had the thought cross your mind? Is this really real? I see that hand. I see those many hands, and even those that are reluctant to raise them. Yeah. It's okay. I think everybody has thoughts like that. Well, let me ask you another question. When you've gone through real problems, and when you face suffering in life, and you've called out to God, have you learned that it's real? Yep. That's what it's all about. Yep. Our problems show us that our faith is genuine. And not only to us, but it shows it to others. Other Christians need to see us go through things and, and stay true to God. Sure. The world needs to see us go through things and stay true to God. Why in the world did all those disciples stay with Jesus through it all? If Jesus would have ever thrown in the towel and said, I'm done, you know, they'd, all, they'd all went back to fishing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, But he endured everything. And, and, and they need to see that in us. It is, that is our testimony. This goes back to, to something you said uh, that you were referencing a moment ago. The, you said, is it in First Peter? It's in chapter 3. Uh, but, if, but and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of the terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, 
and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having good, a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. In the middle of all that was verse 15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Where where, Where do those questions come from? Those questions don't come to us when life is good. When we're just kind of strolling along and, and people look at us and say, man, everything's working out for them. I, I mean, let's be honest. You know all the celebrity Christians that are wealthy and it seems like they're always polished and they always have a smile? People don't really look at them and want to know what do they got. People actually mock that. But when the people see somebody who professes to be a follower of Christ bearing their cross and going through pain and loss and suffering, and yet they continue in joy to praise the Lord, yep. then people say, tell me about this. How are you able to still be acting like that with all that you're going through? Mm-hmm. And that's where you know the, the proving it to yourself and to others, that's where it resonated with me because, so again, just in, in small experiences, but of being able to see, wow, I reacted in that situation way different like that's not my normal disposition that's not my normal way of reacting there that's confirmation to me that okay the spirit is growing me that uh, this path that i'm on yes there have been so many times that i've blown it and i've still reacted in the flesh but right here in reacting in a way that is outside of my normal confirms that okay the lord is doing a work here and so then when others come up you know and you you see somebody going through and you go up to them how are you able to react that way? How are you still able to live that way? They can honestly say, it's not me, mm-hmm. but it is the power of Christ living in me, which then comes back to glorifying God. And, you know, you, you come full circle to everything, but but that is that, that confirming faith that it's offered to everybody, but it does only come through suffering and trials. Well, Paul says to, to this point in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel and of, of Christ's light. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. We are in ourselves constantly living out the dying. Mm-hmm. You know, that sounds like a oxymoron or, or whatever the right term is there. Paul says, we're always living out the dying of Christ in our life, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body, for which we live, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. And Paul was saying, he was, he was saying something that I think uh, it's reminded me of reading in, in Kempis and the Imitation of Christ and some other writers of that era. They would use this phrase and this word. They would talk about our lives being an eternal holocaust unto the Lord. And when you say that, that sounds awful. Uh, when we, we hear the word holocaust. But if you think about what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, always bearing about 
always living out the dying of Christ for the good of others. Because he ultimately, what he's talking about here is the ministry of reconciliation that God has given to us to say to all people, come back to God. You are apart from God. You, you are straying from truth and light, but come back. That's our ministry and our message. Well, we can't do that unless we demonstrate the true love of God through the sacrifice of self, mm-hmm. which is the point we've got to get to here. Because <laughs> I would say that the third reason God allows the problems in our life is to purge us of our self and produce holiness in us. And, and that, is, that is a key thing. It, Paul just described it there. It's the way to perfection. It's the way to completeness. God wants to, uh, to, to, to get that out of us, to root the self out of us. Again, Psalm 138, that, that passage is very telling to this point. David says here uh, in this passage, and he's really describing some problems and struggles and things, but he says in verse 6, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. Now, not all of our days thankfully, are days where we are walking in the midst of trouble. But those days will come, and as we've been talking about through these two episodes of this podcast, there will be um, times when the troubles seem to mount up, and we're in that valley. Hopefully we're on the way of Baca, and yet it seems like we can't see the other side. And, and, And as much as God's grace is sufficient, there will be times and moments where it's like, oh, when will it ever end? And we need some options other than just giving up or growing bitter and angry as a result of what's happening. As you were talking about uh, in personal experience, it's easy to get angry and upset and bitter on these things. And I, that off-ramp, on-ramp of repentance you know, that runs between these two routes. But in, in these verses of, of Psalm 138, to the point of God purging us of ourself and producing holiness, that's how he uses our problems, I see three things that are given here in a partnership that God is forming between me and himself when I am walking in the midst of trouble. And by the way, I want to highlight that, that, that action, that verb there. He is walking in the midst of trouble. He's not stopping. He's not sitting down and quitting. He is walking. And I see a partnership between myself and God when I walk in the midst of trouble. And, and the first one I see is God's mercy and my humility partnered together. That is in verse 6. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, and he knoweth the proud afar off. So even though God is high and holy and exalted and in the heavens, yet he is near and dear to me. He's in my heart when I humble myself. So there's the partnership between God's mercy coming to me and my humility. And then there is God's protection and my trust working together. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me and stretch forth thine hand against my enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. My walking on is my trust, and in that I am experiencing the salvation of God. Boy, that reminds me of, uh, I think, 1 Peter, where he says, 
though now foreseen in First Peter 6, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And here's the part I wanted to get to, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. As I march on through my problems, what, what I'm doing is I am closing in on salvation. There is deliverance, mm-hmm. and I've got to continue. Now, in all of life, there is the big journey of life, which I continue through, and I, in the end, receive the salvation of my soul. I see the, the question marks popping up. Am I not saved now? Well, yes, but you're not saved then. You're not saved yet. You're not saved completely you still have a journey ahead of you. And you're going to continue to experience salvation in Jesus, but that's the point. He is he is continuing to save you. So you walk on in trust, and you will experience God's protection, his salvation. And the third partnership is I see God's plan and my obedience working together. Or I, I think using the word surrender is important because he says in verse 8 of Psalm 138, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Another way of saying that is God's going to finish the plan. He's going to finish what he started in me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. My role in that is to give myself up to it, to surrender to what God is doing. So another way of saying all this is humility gets God's attention. Faith gets God's assistance. And surrender gets God's assurance. And I need all those things when I'm walking through the valley of trouble. So... How does that then drive the self out? If we are if we are humbling ourselves, then in so doing we are denying the self because the self is screaming out all of these different things. Here's how to get away from the problem. Here's how to fix the problem. Here's how to avoid the suffering because you shouldn't have to go through this. You don't deserve this. And so here's how to bring in that avoidance. Humility says no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to choose the way of Christ. Faith, I mean, the self says, okay, here's what you can do about it. Faith says, it's not about what I can do about it. I need God to be in it. And then surrender is the ultimate uh, dispelling of self to say, you know what, God, I'm I'm done. I, I'm giving, I'm, I'm putting myself out of the way, and I am just fully yielded uh, to, to everything I... It's kind of like that image of where where Paul was talking about the shipwreck, and he says, you know, and and so we gave in, and and so we're driven. Mm-hmm. You know, they they just said, all right, that's it. We're surrendering to the wind, wherever the wind takes us, and we're going to get there. And in the middle of the storm, that you know, the self is saying, hey, throw off the supplies, batten down the hatches, do everything you can, and surrender is when you come in and say, no, self. We're just going to trust the wind. We're just going to we're just going to go with it, and wherever God brings us through on the other side of that storm, that's where we're going to be, and we're just going to trust that we're that He's going to get us safely through it. Well, all three of those things—the humility and the faith and the surrender—as you were just describing them, you're describing the way of the cross. Think you know you think about the cross. It's all three of those things. It's very humbling, mm-hmm. humiliating, and it it's an act of faith to say. That, that I'm going to follow God in this. I'm going to follow Jesus by taking up my cross. And it is in the same act, surrendering. 
So it's all together. You know, this isn't like a progression here. This is like every time we face the problems and we choose by faith to walk the road of Baca and, and, and trust God in it, we are humbling ourselves and we are in faith surrendering completely to God's plan, and it's transforming us. Yeah. All of it's transformative. It's like Job. I mean, how humiliating for Job to have his good friends accusing him. You you must have you're going through this because you must have some kind of great sin and the the self denial of I can't defend myself. I I can't. I'm just gonna have you're gonna have to think about me. Whatever you're gonna think about me. All while I'm scraping these boils with pot sheards. Yeah, I mean, he's he's humiliated. Everybody around him has seen his utter demise. He's broken he's hurting all of this is going on and his self has to get set to the side so that then god can come in and ultimately ask those questions where were you when i did this that and the other where where were you and that that awareness of of all that has taken place we look at job so many times and we think boy i i'll never face what job went through but the lessons that are on display all throughout the book are absolutely pertinent to everything that we're going through because ultimately it's the same struggle. We want to defend ourselves. We don't want to go through this. We want to be vindicated for all that we're going through, but we've got to have that humility that comes. Job is the one that really helps us understand that uh, that statement about being a trophy of grace yeah. because there's no other explanation for him in the, in the middle of it all and then in the end of it all, the understanding was I made it by grace you know, and, and thank God for his grace. So I would just say to conclude all of this that when we're talking about the purging of the self, these these are three areas of spiritual maturing that we're talking about, humility and faith and surrender. And remember, God is ultimately trying to perfect us, and we are becoming Jesus through our problems. So God is trying to move us in a direction. And so these are all movements of our heart, of the deep, true inner person, and it's the movement from being self-focused to being God-centered. That's, that's what God is trying to do. And so I've called, I, I wrote down these movements kind of this way, that it's a movement from self-promotion to the glory of God. That this is no longer about me, but it's about what God is accomplishing and achieving in my life to God be the glory. It's the movement from self-reliance where I say, I can handle this to a place of the mercy of God and saying, without you, Lord, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I can do nothing without you. God, be merciful to me in this. And then it's a movement from self-will to the faithfulness of God to say, it isn't about my plans, but it is about what the faithful God of heaven has laid out for me. He will accomplish in me, and I let go of my own design and my own plan. And to cap all that off, the words of Jesus and he said to them all, Luke 9, 23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake. And as we wrap up this discussion on the problems and the suffering and what's the point of it all, it is very important to, to clarify here. He said, whosoever will lose his life for my sake. Everybody suffers. It is only by suffering with and for Jesus that we are transformed. And so whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. 
and that's ultimately what we're after. I've got some parting words from a dear lady um, by the name of Mother Teresa. And I, I read this the other day, and it just keeps coming back to me as, as being so significant to all of this. She said, One cannot expect to become a saint without paying the price. And the price is much renunciation, much temptation, much struggle and persecution, and all sorts of sacrifices. One cannot love God except at the cost of oneself. Wow. Well said. I don't think there's anything to add to that. Well, we've had, uh, I hope, one of the most important and helpful and powerful discussions uh, maybe that we've been able to do in a long time. I know I've enjoyed the discussion. don't know how much I can say I enjoy the process of these things, but I enjoy the outcome of them. Absolutely. And so uh, I hope that it's been helpful to the listeners. We sure appreciate you listening in these couple of weeks uh, as we've gone through this together, and uh, thank you so much. In the heart of a champion, there is a fire, and the flames are controlled by burning desire to be the best you can be. In the heart of a champion